Chapter Nine of the Little Foresters: A Story of Field and Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Little Foresters: A Story of Field and Woods by Clarence Hawkes. Chapter 9. The End of Black Lightning Black Lightning was a terrible black snake that inhabited the woods where the little foresters dwelt. Each spring he would make his appearance in May or June, and then he would prowl about the woods and along the sunny roadway until late in October, when he would den up and sleep until spring. Of all who dwelt in the forest, Black Lightning was the most feared by the little foresters next to Sneak the Weasel. He was so cunning and so full of tricks with which to entrap them. He was always lying in wait by the pathways that they best loved to use, and his coming was so still that no one was safe from him. He was not even contended with gliding about upon the ground, doing what mischief he could there, but even took to the treetops when he was uncommonly hungry. Here he would lie in the foliage, coiled upon a branch in such a way that no one could see him until an unsuspecting squirrel or bird came his way, when his ugly head would dart out and grab the unfortunate one when he had squeezed the life out of it he would drop the victim to the ground and crawl down and eat it at his leisure black lightning was not even bold and daring like sparrowhawk but he would steal about poking his head under old stumps and in hollow logs that he might find a nest of baby rabbits or some young birds to devour if the mother and father were gone, he would at once fall upon the helpless ones and eat them. Once Bob caught him just as he was about to make a breakfast upon his baby rabbits, and a severe drubbing he gave him, striking him again and again with his hind paws, with which the rabbit fights, until the old coward was glad to glide away in the grass and nurse his wounds. Like Sneak, black lightning had no friends in the forest so that when he was run over by a wagon and his back nearly broken no one was sorry and they all said it was a pity that he did not die it was the latter part of june and so pleasant in the woods that the birds and squirrels were always singing and chattering about it i imagine they were afraid that man who was so busy with farming and building would not notice how sweet the air was and how fair the flowers so they were continually telling him lest he should forget black lightning had been out for at least two weeks and as he was always very hungry when he first appeared he had been especially annoying to the birds and squirrels no morning had passed at the trysting tree without some account of his terrible doings he had found brown bird's nest hidden in the grass by a pathway and had devoured three fledglings that were just hatched he had robbed nests of eggs by the dozen 
and Cock Robin's own family had narrowly escaped being devoured. He had even been in the treetops, searching for nests and young birds. The birds and the squirrels considered that the trees belonged to them. Black Lightning was bad enough when he kept to the ground, but when he even came into the trees it was too much to bear, and so with good reason the indignation against the snake grew, until one morning Nimrod called a meeting especially to consider the case, and see if something could not be done to rid the forest of this monster. Either Redtail or Danger, the great white owl, might have killed the snake for them, but both were enemies of the birds and squirrels, so help was not likely to come from that quarter, unless the owl or the hawk should find him some day asleep and carry him off of their own accord. One would never have guessed from the brightness of the sun or the fragrance of June roses that the little foresters were so sorely tried by the ravenous snake. Nor would he have guessed it had he seen the birds and squirrels as they assembled at the old oak, for they sang and chattered in their old merry manner. Finally Nimrod came sailing over the tops of the trees in that majestic way he had, and lighted on his usual perch, which was the topmost bow of the tree. Then, after the morning salutations had been exchanged, and a few well-chosen words, he explained the particular business before the meeting, and asked if anyone had any plan for the entrapping or the killing of Black Lightning. Frisk, the gray squirrel, thought that Bob, the old rabbit, might be appointed by the chairman to do the job, at which Bob looked anxious and thought that someone else might be found who could do it better. It was one thing to attack the snake when he was about to devour his family, but quite another to go after him and slay him when there was no family to inspire one. Of course, no bird can attempt it, said Cock Robin, to which the thrush, the jay, the sparrow, the bobolink, the phoebe, and the score of others all assented with chirp and twitter. "'I don't see how a squirrel can do it either,' exclaimed Redder, who always gave his opinion whether it was asked or not. This time, however, his opinion was echoed by Grayer, Chipmunk, and their sleepy cousin, Flyer. And so that settled it as far as the squirrel family was concerned. The old crow looked down at his followers and chuckled. It amused him very much to see how willing each one was that someone else should attack the snake, and how reluctant each was to do it himself. It was a fine study of the willingness of people to put others in positions where they would not want to be themselves. Well, said Nimrod at last, I do not see but what we shall have to get the field mouse to kill black lightning for us. Friend Field Mouse is not present this morning, and so cannot object. And the old crow chuckled again and looked down scornfully at his followers, who felt ashamed. I move that we hear from our wise chairman upon the subject, 
His words are always full of wisdom, said Bob the Cottontail, from his position at the foot of the tree. Good, good, cried all the little people, with chirrup and chatter. Nimrod straightened himself and looked down in a dignified manner at bird, squirrel, and rabbit. It greatly flattered and pleased him to be well spoken of, for he was the most vain of them all, a fact that the wise rabbit well knew, and he also knew that if anything was to be gotten from Nimrod, that this was the quickest and best way to get it, and he had a suspicion that Nimrod had some plan for ridding the woods of black lightning. Well, said Nimrod, at length, when he had admired the plumage of his wing, which glistened in the sunlight and greatly pleased him. I suppose that the crow family is famed for its sagacity. If it is not anything that I take any particular credit to myself for, but merely the advantage of being well born, I indeed have a plan, which I will disclose if you will all be attentive and not interrupt me. "'Good, good!' cried all the birds and squirrels in chorus. "'Tell us, Nimrod, tell us!' The old crow gave a long caw to clear his throat and began. "'Many, many years ago, long before the memory of any one now living, unless it is our dear friend Turtle, who lives down at the brookside, my great-great-grandfather lived in these woods.' and I dare say he has perched many a time upon this very branch where I am now standing. He was a large, strong crow and a fine flyer, but his greatest quality was his wisdom. It is often said in the crow family that I am like him. Here Nimrod paused to chuckle and admire his plumage. Well, my great-great-grandfather took it into his head to travel. He wanted to know what was in the world, and to make himself acquainted with all countries. So he decided to start out, and in order not to be flying around in a great circle, and finally come back where he started from, he decided to always travel towards the setting sun. He thought that when he was ready to come back, he could travel towards the rising sun, and that would bring him safe back. It is a very wise plan, and one that none but the crow would have thought of. There was a great meeting of the crows to wish him a fine journey and good luck, and he set out. For days and months he traveled over hills and valleys like these where we live, flying by day and roosting in the top of a fir tree by night. This was the safest way to do. Besides, he did not want to travel at night, for he had come upon this journey to see the country, which he could not do at night. Finally the hills and valleys ceased, and the forest disappeared, and he came to great plains that stretched out as far as the eye could reach. He did not like this country as well as the wooded country, for it was hard to find a tree in which to roost at night, but there were lots of grain and the plains were very fertile. By and by, he came to a great river where he stopped for a bath, for the water had been so muddy for several days that he could not bathe. Then he flew on, greatly refreshed. 
Then there were more plains that lasted for weeks and weeks, and finally they grew sandy and barren with nothing but sagebrush and prickly plants. Finally, one morning, when he had gotten very tired of the plains, he saw a mountain like those mountains he had known at home, only it was very much higher and was covered with snow. Up, up he mounted nearly to the sun before he crossed it. But there on the mountain top were pines and spruces again, and he felt more at home. Then he traveled for days over the mountains and finally dropped down into the land of sunshine that ends by the great water, which there is no crossing. So the bird folks told him who live in the land of sunshine. Here it was that my great-great-grandfather made the acquaintance of that remarkable bird, the roadrunner, of which I am going to tell you. The little foresters all looked at each other with great astonishment, but as they had promised not to interrupt Nimrod, they said nothing. Well, continued Nimrod, the roadrunner is one of the most remarkable birds in the world. I think I may say that he ranks next to the crow, and my ancestor found out many strange things from him, among others how to kill snakes. At this statement by Nimrod, there was such a chirping and twittering in the old trysting tree that the crow was obliged to cease his story for several minutes. But when quiet had at last been restored, he continued. The one great enemy of the roadrunner is the rattlesnake, who is always creeping about in the grass, searching for the roadrunner's nest, that he may devour the eggs or young birds or if he can find a young road-runner in the grass, where he is just learning to fly, he will at once fall upon him and mangle him, and finally swallow him without the slightest regret. "'The hateful thing!' cried all the little foresters in chorus. "'He is just like black lightning,' said Cock Robin. "'Well,' continued Nimrod, the road-runner does not take his injuries quietly, as we do. But he at once sets to work to avenge himself. He searches about in the grass and along the sunny banks by the creek until he finds the snake, and then he follows him, never losing sight of him by day or night, until at last the snake lies down in a sunny spot to sleep, for all snakes are great sleepers. They all sleep through the winter, and many of them sleep half the summer time as well. When the roadrunner sees the rattlesnake fall asleep, he knows that his hour has come. Then he and Mrs. Roadrunner set to work to gather the spines from the prickly pear tree, which are very sharp. They have to use great care in gathering them, or they will wound themselves, but they do not mind an occasional scratch when they think of their young dead birds and the revenge that they are going to heap upon the snake. When they have gathered a good pile of the spines, they go up to the sleeping snake very carefully and build a fence about him, using the spines for building material. So when the snake sleeps, he is all the time being surrounded by this terrible wall. Finally their work is done, and Mr. and Mrs. Roadrunner wait for the awakening of the snake. 
when the snake does awake he stretches himself and looks about him to his great astonishment he finds a wall some three or four inches high encompassing him on every side and a little distance away he sees the road runners watching him he's very angry it is their doing he will teach them better manners and he coils himself for a spring hissing and sounding his rattlers in an ominous way but the road runners do not fear him this makes him more angry still and he lashes with his tail which strikes something sharp and the snake turns and strikes viciously at the pile to his great astonishment the innocent-looking sticks bite back he strikes again and a dozen sharp spines fasten in his head then great anger possesses him and he strikes again and again while the road-runners draw back to a safe distance around and around the rattler goes striking and squirming until at last he is filled with spines and bleeding from a score of places then in blind fury he bites himself and dies the victim of his own poison good good cried all the birds and squirrels in chorus it serves him right said bob from his seat at the foot of the tree if any one carries a deadly poison about as the rattlesnake does he is quite sure to fall a victim to it himself sooner or later now continued nimrod if you will all stop talking i will tell you the details of my plan i want you all to do just as i tell you and to remember that our successes depends upon your carrying out my orders perfectly Firstly, we have no prickly pear tree, and we will have to use something else. Secondly, the bite of the black snake is not poisonous, and he cannot finish himself, so we will have to poison our brambles to make our plan a certain success. I want you all to set to work gathering brambles. Find the sharpest and the longest ones that you can go to the blackberry the raspberry the thorn apple and the nettle and some of you like friend thresher whom the law protects can get those sharp thorns from the hedge up at the farmhouse when you have gathered your thorns then find the most deadly poisons that you know i do not need to tell you what they are you all know the nightshade and the poison hemlock the ivy and the dogwood break the bark or the pulp of the plant or shrub with great care lest you get poisoned yourself and then wet the points of your brambles or spines with this poison when you have once poisoned them you must use the greatest care not to scratch yourself when everything is ready we will watch for this destroyer of our homes and our happiness and serve him in such manner as he deserves and without further words nimrod dismissed the company and they all went away bent upon one errand the destruction of black lightning for several days there was great activity in the woods gathering spines and searching for poisonous plants occupied all of the time that was not spent in looking for food and attending to the young who needed great deal of attention at this time of year 
after about a week nimrod announced at the trysting tree that everything was in readiness and told all to be on the watch for black lightning for several days no one could discover him asleep for he was very crafty and had kept the place of his napping a secret but one sunny afternoon early in july he decided to take his nap out in the open upon a sandbank that pleased him where he could bask in the warm sun and enjoy himself if anything disturbed him he had a hole near by where he could go but what could harm him was he not master of the forest were they not all afraid of him and did they not all flee when he approached it was with these feelings that the old black snake stretched out on the sandbank and went to sleep. An hour later, Cock Robin, who was always on the watch and had a grudge of his own to pay off, discovered the snake asleep and hastened to tell Nimrod, who at once summoned the rest of the company by a signal that had been agreed upon. Soon they were all at work, carrying the brambles and spines that had been made so deadly with poisonous sap. They worked with a will, and in two hours there was a pile of bristling points about the ugly black snake, and no opening on any side through which to escape. When their work had been completed, they sat upon the trees, and those of the company who could not fly sat at a safe distance on the ground, for they knew that when the snake awoke he would be very angry, and secretly they were all afraid of black lightning. At last their patience was rewarded, for the snake began to move and then to stretch, as snakes are apt to do after a nap, and then he awoke. When he looked about at the bristling pile that surrounded him, he thought he was dreaming, but when he looked up in the trees and saw the birds and squirrels looking down at him, he knew that it was no dream. But the full peril of his situation did not at once appear to him. "'Who has done this?' he hissed, raising his head angrily and glaring about him. "'We all had a hand in it,' replied Nimrod from his perch, a few feet above the snake. But I think I may say the plan was mine, and the rest of the company helped me to carry it out. You will all pay for it, hissed the snake, snapping his jaws together in a manner that made the smaller birds and squirrels quake. I will kill an extra bird and an extra squirrel every day this summer to pay for this. I will teach you who is the stronger when I get out of this tangle." "'When you get out of that tangle,' repeated Nimrod mockingly, "'we will all invite you to breakfast.' At these words, the snake lowered his head, and a feeling of uneasiness came over him, for he well knew the cunning of the crow, and feared him and the confident way in which he spoke. "'Why have you done this?' he asked at length, feeling that perhaps the best course was to parley. "'Why have you hunted us by day and night, robbing our nests and eating our young?' asked Nimrod. "'Partly for breakfast and partly for sport,' said the snake. "'We are not as cruel as you,' replied Nimrod. "'We have not entrapped you for sport, but because we had to. 
you have come into our forest like a thief, creeping upon your belly like a sneak, robbing and killing merely for sport, and now that we may live and enjoy the forest, which is ours by right, we have destroyed you. Destroyed me, hissed the snake, snapping his jaws furiously. We will see about that and he began striking at the pile of brambles about him. But at the first blow his head was filled with brambles and spines. Nimrod cawed derisively, and the birds chirped and twittered, but some of the more timid flew away in fright. Black Lightning's eyes flashed fire, and his tongue darted out like a flame. He writhed with agony, and for once lost his self-control and again attacked his barriers. Faster and faster he struck, hissing and snapping his jaws and all the time lashing with his tail. The brambles flew in every direction, but he was fast filling with the deadly points. Over and over he went, moving so fast that the little foresters could scarcely see him. Finally his wriggling and thrashing ceased, and then they saw him filled with the deadly points and swollen to twice his usual size. At last, after terrible convulsions, he stretched himself out upon the sandbank and died, an object too hideous to look upon. Then the birds and the squirrels went quietly away, feeling well satisfied with the success of Nimrod's plan and their own hard work. But they had no feeling of revenge in the death of the snake, for they had destroyed him, as Nimrod had said, merely that they might live themselves. End of chapter 9